In 2009, Mira Awad became the first Arab Israeli to represent Israel at Eurovision Song Contest. And the song was also the first Israeli song to include Arabic lyrics. She was criticized for taking part, both from Israelis who thought she aligned herself too much with her Arab roots, and Palestinians who equally felt she was too loyal to Israel. How did and does she deal with this criticism? What did this participation mean for Israel as a country and what does she think of her performance today? Eurovision legends are going headfirst in one of the most infected political situations currently on earth. But I hope that my intelligent and sensible listeners can handle this gracefully and respect that there will always be opposing views on a topic like this. Welcome to Eurovision Legends with me, your top diplomat, Emil Löfström. Salam alaikum, Mira Awad. Alaikum salam, Emil. How are you? I'm really good. You know, in in if we take uh, in consideration the whole pandemic thing going on, we are good. We're good. How are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. In Sweden, we don't have an, a lockdown, but well, it is what it is. But I do the best I can of it. Yeah, I have to kind of look at the positive sides of everything and otherwise it would be really too difficult to cope with. Yeah. You were born in the village Rame in the Galilee to a Palestinian father and a Bulgarian mother in 1975. Please tell me what was it like for you as a Christian Arab to grow up in Israel? First of all, Emil, uh, good job <laughs> on the research and on saying uh, the name of my village correctly. Rame, that's nice. Uh, so thank you for that. Um, yes, as you mentioned, uh, I come from a mixed family. Uh, my father studied medicine in Bulgaria, and that's how he met my mother. And she came back with him to his village in the Galilee, where he had—he was on a mission to be, you know, a doctor and serve his community. Uh, because back in the 70s, the Palestinian population within Israel was really suffering from a lot of the differences in the quality of medical services as well as other things. So he was on a mission to come back and serve his own people. So you ask a very complex question, right? How is it to grow up as a as a Palestinian woman within uh, the Jewish state of Israel? That is a complex uh, identity. That is a complex uh, existence. When I say to people that I call myself Israeli-Palestinian, they usually don't understand how these two things can go together. And I always try to explain it like this. I tell them, my father and I were born in exactly the same geographical spot, which is the village Rami, which you pronounce the name so beautifully. Only, yes. <laughs> uh, he was born in 36 and it was Palestine. And I was born in 75 and it was Israel. So there's already a duality. We did not move places. We did not move geographically, but the state around us changed its definition and it became Israel. And of course, this creates some dissonance in your identity. I mean, when I was born in 75, I, I immediately was born into Israeli music and the Israeli educational system. You know, it was different for my father. Um, so I, I used to hear all the stories about his childhood 
and of course the ordeals that they went to went through when the, the Israeli state was established in 48 they were kicked out of their villages uh, they were refugees for a while and then we were lucky enough that my family could go back to the village and to their homes so we have a happy end okay but not all the Palestinians have happy endings and uh, and we have to remember that so yes there's always this duality being an Israeli citizen belonging to Israel belonging to the culture here speaking Hebrew perfectly as I do you know I I, I feel so fluent in Hebrew that it's almost like my first language I sing in Hebrew I act in Hebrew all my I managed to go to penetrate the the mainstream in Israel so in in a way I feel very much Israeli I, I belong here I live in Tel Aviv and on the other hand there's always this other identity that I have which is belonging to a Palestinian heritage the Palestinian history and of course the story of my father and the family of their expulsion of their village and and this historic piece of information that is in my memory DNA so some people would see a lot of contrast there I always try to explain that I see it as two sides of me and I and they coexist these two sides not it wasn't easy all the always okay when I was younger I think I was much more conflicted uh, and I had trouble especially when I was faced with questions from the surrounding because when you think about it I I never had uh, to ask myself what am I or where do I belong it's always questions that we get from the surroundings right yeah. so people would ask me like how do you define yourself do you define yourself first to be Israeli or first to be Palestinian and I would find myself like suddenly I, suddenly I don't know because I never had to think about it so until someone from the outside asked me I didn't really dwell on these things because I'm a human being when I wake up in the morning I don't really think about being Palestinian or being Israeli I just think that I need to brush my teeth you know the most human thing in the world so suddenly I'm I was when I was younger and I left my home and I was an independent woman I was faced with all these questions about identity all the time and in the beginning as an artist I did not want to deal with these questions I just wanted to be a musician an actress you know I wanted to be an artist but little by little I understood that uh, nobody else can tell this complex story about these people living here on this really tiny piece of land and I see that we don't have really another choice other than living together in this place and I feel it that it's my mission to keep on telling the complexity of the story but also keeping the positive alternative where we can find a way to live here together side by side We'll leave this topic for now. Yeah. I want to circle back to it later. I want okay. to take a giant step back in time to the year 2005. Mm-hmm. Because that year you took part in the pre-selection Kadam in Israel okay. with the song Zman. Zman, yes. Tell me, was this the first time you tried to reach Eurovision? Yes, actually. It's it's the year where Shiri Maimon uh, won the pre-contest and she was really good so this is first of all she she deserved to win um but yes it was my first attempt so somebody suggested that i would go to the pre-revision contest and i did it with a song that i composed zman which is time uh this song came out later in an english version in, a, in my second album called all my faces so this song stayed with me a long time but back then it was in hebrew and in arabic Zman, 
I didn't make it, as you can, as you know. <laughs> I didn't win the free contest. <laughs> but yes, it was the first attempt. <laughs> Out of 14 contestants, you came last with only yes. five points. Yes. Do you have any theories as to why? I mean, because it's oh. a good song. It's a good song. Thank you, Emil. I, I still do think it's a good song. You wanted to get away from politics, but you cannot when you're speaking to me. Nothing can get away from politics. Just a week before the contest, an article uh, about me was uh, issued in one of the biggest uh, newspapers in Israel. An interview, actually a very long interview, where I was totally misquoted. And the title there was kind of offensive for a lot of people, a title that was in quotes but it was something that I did not say uh, I almost sued the newspaper back then it, it was a it was a very big sabotage uh, but ever since I started my career um, a lot of uh, reporters were tr tried to corner me to put me in the corner of the political questions now I'm a very accurate accurate person I know what I believe and I know what I want to say to the world But then again, when you are misquoted, there, there's very little you can do about it. It's, it's published, it's out there, it's, it's in the headlines. And back then, if you remember, it, it, it was not online. It, everything was hard copies. So there wasn't uh, any uh, opportunity to edit. Today you can do it. Today, if there's a headline that you don't like or that is, is, is wrong, you just call the paper and you say, hey, guys, you misquoted uh, uh, me and it's, it's wrong. And they change it and, and it changes and that's it. And they change it on the site, on the, on the spot. So back then it was a big deal. And uh, uh, our theory, not only mine, <laughs> I would think, is that that is the reason we got the last place but it's fine i think uh, you see you remember it because it was the last place <laughs> <laughs> don't remember a lot about that competition i do remember that shiri was very it was a clear choice that shiri came with a very good song she's a very good singer she had a good look it was uh, i think it was a unanimous call almost that uh, shiri had the, the right thing to go to eurovision that year got an honorable fourth place in Kiev when uh, Elena Paparizo won with my number one for Greece. And four years later, you and the singer helped me with the pronunciation here, Ahinoam Nini. Ahinoam Nini, yes. Better known as Noah, ended yes. up in the pre-selection in Israel singing all four competing songs. Yes. How did this arrangement come about? So it started with Noah, actually. Achinoam is a very well-known singer here in Israel and also in the world, in Europe. Uh, she, she has a long career in Europe already and in the U.S. And uh, she was asked to uh, represent Israel in the Eurovision. Now, I have to say some background. We, this is the year 2009. Uh, we have been already working together since 2000. Noah and I, we started working together in 2000. She invited me to... Uh, sing a duet with her on her uh, on one of her albums. We did the Beatles song uh, called uh, We Can Work It Out. We can work it out, we can work it out. Life is very short and there's no time. The first thing I find is 
coming together around the world since 2000. And right in 2009, she got the offer to go through revision. See, she thought about it and she decided that she would only say yes if we could do it together. So she called me and they offered me to go together to Eurovision and do a song of our own and represent, you know, the country together. And the only thing that I asked her is like, Achinoam, are you sure you know what Eurovision is about? <laughs> Because I, I, I don't know how much you know our other music, but uh, we are not the, the typical uh, Eurovision-oriented pop singers, okay? Yeah. So it, it was a little bit out of our regular waters. And we really had to make a decision that, yes, we want to go out into that huge, huge platform and bring uh, this message together. And yes, we'll face everything together. And so we decided to go for it and we agreed. Uh, so the invitation was actually for her and, and then it was extended for both of us because this was her wish and I was happy to comply. How come it was only four songs you competed with? Well, so they chose us to do to do the representation, and then we had to be to do this pre-contest to offer songs, and that was the agreement that we would offer four songs, and the crowd would choose one of the four. It could have been three, four, you know. So the decision was it would be four songs, and and then the crowd uh, voted for their favorite. The song "There Must Be Another Way" won by a pretty big margin. <laughs> your personal favorite well it's very hard to ask us that right because we we, we co-wrote all the songs we really love them i love also uh, i don't know if you remember the other songs but there's another song a song called the will you dance with me we still sing it in in our performances together we love that song will you dance with me through the years as the seasons songs that we really we really loved and invested a lot in them and they're still with us until this day so I guess when the crowd shows it was for us it was this or that you know fine great our song we love it uh, so that was good <laughs> anyway, you, you said it before but this is really a great accomplishment for us back then to have Arabic in the song in the in all the songs we, we put Arabic in all the songs in order to make sure that the chosen song would have third of it in Arabic. Now, we had to change a regulation here in Israel, in the IBA, in the IBA committee, 
we had to change the regulation about the language in order to do that. And they agreed for us to do it. We wanted to do it. Third Arabic, third Hebrew, third English, so we could like have the three languages. And 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 I'm very proud of, of that, at least, you know, to bring the Arabic also as a formal language of Israel. You became the first ever Israeli Arab to represent Israel, and there must be another way. It became the first song from Israel song, at least partly in Arabic. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it took Israel 35 years from that Israel first took part in a contest till they were represented by an Arab? I ask because 21% of the citizens in Israel are Arabs. You are completely correct, and I think it was very wrong and very Arabic was excluded also Arabic singers were excluded um, mainly I mean when I went there in 2005 it was also against all odds because the Israeli crowd was not even uh, accustomed to having singers singing you know from other backgrounds and from other languages especially not Arabic which is feared sometimes even here as the language of the enemy, I'm putting it in quotes, right? Some people think of Arabs as the enemy. So, it yes, I think it was mispre- misrepresented for a lot of years, and I'm very happy that it happened in 2009, but you have to notice something. It did not happen again after. So we are still talking about like this one time. I mean, another 12 years have passed since then, and it hasn't happened again. Um, not through the representation and not through the languages and and that's a that's another you know that's another conversation. Not everyone in Israel was satisfied that an Arab and a Jew should compete together for Israel in Eurovision, and both Jews and Arabs called on you to step down because they thought your participation would convey a false impression of national coexistence that would be used to cover up the deaths of Palestinian civilians in the Gaza Strip. Am I right? Yes. I mean, also, uh, what amplified this anger was that in the same year, uh, after we had agreed to do the Eurovision, it was not announced yet, okay? So it was secret still, and we were starting to work on the songs. It was not announced to the public yet, and then the operation on Gaza started, the operation called Cast Lead in 2009. Two weeks after it started, people were dying, you know, on both sides, of course, but huge bombings in Gaza, children dead. It was very, very devastating news coming from Gaza. Gaza was wiped out. We would see all these pictures of whole neighborhoods, you know, bombed. And so two weeks into this uh, catastrophe, It was announced that we are going to the Eurovision. One Arab singer with the Jewish singer and people, of course, people who didn't know that we were working together for nine years, they thought it was this uh, absurd thing or maybe an, a PR stunt uh, to make Israel look nice, you know? Yeah. Or maybe they felt that it was insensitive and illogical and what are you doing and why are these people doing this peace thing right now? It, 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 needless to say, it was really bad timing, and uh, I wish it hadn't happened that way. But this is, but this is how it happened. And and I have to say that the moment the operation started on Gaza, I already had my thoughts about what should I be doing. I mean, I'm also a Palestinian. I, my heart lies with the Palestinian heritage and the Palestinian history, 
And to see Palestinians being bombed like that every day, wiped out, for me, it was very difficult to be in that position and to represent Israel, in, you know, in a pop contest. It was very hard to to concentrate on writing songs and to and and singing about a future when you are seeing your daily devastation. So, of course, I already ha- uh, was in a very difficult position. But when it was announced, then really we had criticism from every every side you can imagine. So, of course, the Israelis felt that I was too Palestinian and the Palestinians felt that I was the fig leaf, you know, for, for the Israeli propaganda machine. Uh, it was a very, very delicate time. And my family was suffering because they also were getting a lot of phone calls, a lot of criticism, what their daughter is doing and that I am bringing shame on my village or on my, you know, my nationality and my people. Um, so there was a lot of, lot of pressure uh, on me to, to, uh, to, to step down. And of course, also on Achinoam from all kinds of places. So we were both really under a lot of attacks to the extent that really at, at the moment for me, it got a little bit scary also. We, we were concerned that somebody would do us harm. Uh, there was a time there where we were concerned for our safety. But we did, after a lot of thinking, thinking, we decided to move on and to, and to do the Eurovision because we felt that if we stepped down, we will never have the chance to talk about these things that we are talking, you and me right now, right? And by going to Moscow, we could tell the world the way that we feel, that we feel that we need to find a different alternative, a different way of living here together. That's why the song is called There Must Be Another Way. All the songs were about this issue, okay? All of them were about living here together and and our sorrow for each other and, and uh, trying to keep the faith, you know, for, uh, for the hope, for the future. So all the songs were about this subject. This is what we decided to do. This is, this is how we wanted to use the platform. And that's why we decided to go ahead and participate, even though it was really difficult. I have a quote here from you. It is from 2009. And I think this statement is something that people on both sides should take to heart. I read here, we're not naive enough to think that we are representing any existing situation. We are trying to show a possible situation that we believe is possible if we just make the necessary efforts. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yes. I don't know. I don't remember who said that when, but yes, that's totally our, our message. That's why we didn't sing any songs that say, hey, peace and love, peace and love, peace and love. You know, no, we don't think there's peace and love. We think there's a lot of problems here. There's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of pain. But we do believe that there is still a way to change things, to change them for the better. And that we have to do actions in order to move things in a better direction. Uh, so we're not naive. No, no, no. We are the farthest away from being naive people. But we want to use music to inspire people to think differently, to open their minds to the possibilities and maybe not lose all hope and think that this is our reality and we have to live with it. No, we can every day we can change our reality. We just need to work together in order to do it. I, for one, and many with me outside of Israel appreciated your participation as a step in the right direction towards peace and coexistence. 
What are your thoughts on Israel's participations in general? Some participations are really good, musically and performer-wise. Some I, I don't really like. So it's, it's my, you know, my individual taste. I feel sad sometimes that we that the participation does not really bring messages, important messages to the world, and we're not always like bringing a, a, a necessary message or or something. We're just bringing a song, and sometimes I feel that it's quite disconnected from our reality. But hey, that's my that's my opinion, right? I'm one person, and this is what I believe. I believe that art has to has to be a vessel. Or change, but but again, you're talking to Mira Awad right now, and this is my belief. Uh, I don't think that all artists have to believe the same thing, and not every song has to be a protest song or a, an activist song. But this is this is my opinion. So sometimes the songs are nice, and sometimes the songs, in my opinion, are not good. Do you have any special favorites among all the Israeli Eurovision entries? Wow, remind me of the songs. <laughs> Well, you have, you have participated since 1973, so it's very many. Difficult. I can't really think of one. Not really. I can't remember one. The Shirley Maimon song was good. Eurovision in 2009 was held in Moscow. Oh, I loved Moscow. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. First of all, it was my first time in Russia. Naturally, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, I'm half Bulgarian, right? So I'm Slavic. I, I can read Russian and... Um, I understand the mentality, but I've never been, and uh, it was an eye-opener for me. I really had fun. Uh, we drank a lot of vodka, so, <laughs> so you know, that makes everything better. <laughs> but seriously, you know, every um, it was funny because we were walking around, you know, all of us, the, the team, the Israeli team, and I was the, some some kind of the interpreter because I could read the menus and the signs in the street, <laughs> so yeah. I could... And I understand some words in Russian because of the Bulgarian that I speak. So I, so I found myself actually a lot of time interpreting between Russian and Hebrew and English. <laughs> it was really fun. We had a great team, also people with us on stage and also people behind stage. I mean, Alona Mir was our uh, head of, uh, I don't know how you call it, the head of, head the of delegation. PR. Thank you. And uh, he's one of my best friends. So, so yeah, I mean, it's like taking my friends with me on a journey. So it, it was great. No, we, we really had a great time. Norway won with the song Fairy Tale by yeah, Alexander. Yeah, he Dubai. was awesome. I, th- I thought he deserved to win. I, I, I was happy that he won because he was so cute. Yeah. He was, the, he was so cute and he could play the violin and he was dancing and singing. He was brilliant. Eurovision staunchly claims to be a non-political event. All mm-hmm. participating broadcasters shall ensure that all necessary steps are undertaken within in their res- respective delegations. And terms in order to make sure that Eurovision shall in no case be politicized. And this year, the country Georgia withdrew from the competition after the EBU rejected its selected song, We Don't Wanna Put In, uh-huh. as being a breach of the contest rules. Oh. Do you remember this? Yes, I do. It's too bad. <laughs> <laughs> they should have They should have let them sing the song. We don't wanna put in
political do you consider your participation was? I don't consider it political. I consider it social. I consider it uh, humane. Uh, I don't consider it political. In retrospect, do you think that your Arab roots were one of the key factors that you were chosen in the first place? Well, my Arab roots were a key factor in me doing a duet with Noah in 2000, which led into 20 years of working together until now. So I guess, yes, it has, a, it has an element there because uh, uh, that's how I met Noah. And then we became really good friends, regardless of who's Arab and who's Jewish. You got a 16th place in the final yeah. with 53 points. Were you satisfied or disappointed with that outcome? Are you serious? We were so happy that we made it to the finals. <laughs> we didn't care. <laughs> we only cared about getting to the finals. This was our thing. We wanted to sing the song twice. We wanted to sing it in the semi-final and then in the final. We really did not really have hope of winning. We knew that our song maybe was political, considered political. It wasn't the best fun or beautiful show that that was put on stage. It was a serious song. Uh, so I, I, we didn't think that we really had a big chance of winning the contest, but it was fine because winning is just that thing. You, okay, you know, we, we came and we did our thing and that's that's what we wanted to do. And so 16 was amazing for us. Israel is the only democratic country in its immediate area, but it's often blamed well. for... Okay. <laughs> you, don't, you don't see it as democratic? I see it as suffering severely right now. Uh, I see that the democracy here is suffering severely. Very because bad. Of the pandemic? Not because of the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic just showed a lot of um, things that are happening. It just made it clearer. Um, but uh, we have been suffering. There have been, like, people have been taking bites out of democracy in Israel for years and years now. We have been having all these laws that we're uh, that we're that the government is making, and every time we are stepping into a further away place from equality and from human rights. And for, for example, the nation-state uh, law that that actually says that Jews are first-class citizens and everybody else is kind of second and, and less. And there's a law about that. And so these, these laws that we have been suffering for many years now uh, have been biting away from human rights and from democracy here in Israel. Of course, I'm left-wing, so this is what I believe, right? A lot of people would argue with me. But uh, I think that this country is suffering severely right now and Uh, unless something is done really quick. I mean, you see, probably you see it in the news, how many protests we have here in Israel regarding, uh, you know, the prime minister and and some corruption issues and some anti-democratic issues. And people are, are in the streets every Saturday, every Saturday on the clock. People are in the streets, thousands and thousands of them, hundreds of thousands of people. So this country is suffering right now. It is in a crisis. Of course, coronavirus only made things worse, right? Because people are in crisis, people are unemployed. Uh, so there are a lot of problems added to everything. I'm really hoping that a shift will happen soon and some healing should happen here and we should steer this country back in the direction of human rights and equality and compassion and empathy. 
and not self-interest and divide and hatred and, and fake truths. So um, I, I really hope a change will happen because of all these protests and that people will demand a change. Despite several attempts, there is still no peace agreement between Israel and Palestine. Mm-hmm. What is your own view of the conflict and what do you wish would happen? My own view of the conflict is that uh, no one will convince me that this is an unsolvable problem. This conflict is painful, but when you compare it to other conflicts in the world, I mean, look at World War II, look at Germany and Israel. Israelis are visiting Berlin today. Would you have believed that 75 years ago? I mean, nobody would have thought something like that. Nobody would have thought that Israeli tourists are going to be roaming Berlin again and that Israeli DJs are going to be playing in the best clubs in Berlin. Would you? Nobody would have imagined this. And yet, after all the catastrophes, all the, the, the horrible history that these countries have, look at us, look at it. So don't you cannot convince me that the dispute between the Palestinians and the Israelis cannot be solved. Of course it can be solved. We just need leadership that will want to solve it. For now, we have leadership that has more interest to keep the conflict going for political gain. We don't need to love each other. We just need to find a way to live together in collaboration. We have a really small piece of land here. If we don't collaborate, What do we think is going to happen? You know, it's so small. We have to share it somehow. We have to find a way to share. In 1994, Yasser Arafat, Shimon Peres and Yitzhak Rabin received the Nobel Prize for their work to enable a Middle East peace process. Yeah. None of them are alive today. And several who have tried to mediate between these two parties have had to pay with their lives. Including Rabin. Yes, Were you yourself never afraid when you took this great stance? Uh, what can I say? Sometimes I was, sometimes I am. But uh, I don't think I'm important enough to be, you know, assassinated or something. I'm just a performer. I'm just an artist. I don't think somebody cares that much. But uh, yes, we've had our share of uh, extremists, you know, in this place. And we will always have some extremists who are ruining everything for everyone. This year is 25 years for the murder of uh, Itzhak Rabin. So this is really a moment of, where we are all remembering that that day, that evening, where we where we saw how our future is is being shot down. They didn't only shoot Rabin; they shot the future of the country, and that was the intention. Of course, it wasn't just shooting down a man; it was shooting down a whole process. And this is what happened. And since then, we have been walking backwards and not forwards. It has been 12 years now since you participated. Have you tried to participate again? No, Emil, I have not. (laughs) Would you like to? I don't know. Uh, For now, I I really don't know. Um, I never say never because I never know what will happen and Maybe there's this time when I have this song that I feel that should go to you know, to Eurovision and then I might make another attempt. But for now, no, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> Would you consider representing another country, perhaps your mother's native Bulgaria? Wow, I never thought about it even. But you know what? Representing Bulgaria, that could be cool. Yeah. 
in Bulgaria, and that would be cool. So cool. Netta won for Israel in 2018 with the song Toy, and several yeah. loud voices threatened to boycott the contest if the contest was held in Jerusalem. Personally, I was overjoyed that the competition was held in Tel Aviv, as it is my favorite city in the whole world. But what do you think it meant for Israel that you felt compelled to hold the competition in Tel Aviv instead of Jerusalem? Well, I, for one, really agreed that it should happen in Tel Aviv. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint if anybody's disappointed. Um, Jerusalem is called the, the, the capital of Israel, but I never felt... I mean, it's, it's very symbolic kind of capital. The real place that these things happen, especially artistic stuff and, you know, all music, uh, the music scene is in Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv, ya habibi, Tel Aviv. So it, it makes sense for this to happen in Tel Aviv. To me, it makes sense. And Jerusalem would have just added more complexity and a political side to the Eurovision, which you have said many times now that the Eurovision does not want the political uh, aura. And I agree, it shouldn't have to deal with the complexity of the city of Jerusalem. Eurovision in 2019 was my ninth trip to Israel. And uh, I remember as if it were yesterday how proud I was of Israel, who in the interval act during Thursday's semifinal took in the Shalva Band, which is a musical band consisting of musicians who all live with some degree of disability. Uh, my brother has Down syndrome, and I would like to say that if you can generalize, they are the kindest people in the world. I second that. I second that. I, I felt that I agree. Because every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. And me and the dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, the vision of the one I see. And me and the dreams are gone, it's gonna death. And in the final, Idan Reichel and his multi-ethnic, multilingual Israeli musical project performed the song Boy. And you have worked with Idan yourself. Yes, yes, many times. Um, listen, I, I think they did a great job. I just, I wished, I, I, when I saw the artistic um, program they did, I was like wishing that it would reflect also on the country and not only on the Eurovision show. So, you know, it was such a beautiful show. I said, wow, we should have this uh, multi-ethnical and tolerance uh, thing going into society and not only on stage. So I wish for us to be more tolerant towards everybody who is different and everybody who is from other ethnicities and from other backgrounds.
have asked you to perform in the interval act, what would you sing then? Oh, something in Arabic, sure. Yeah? Probably I would have done Think of Others. That's a song that uh, is I've been singing for the last few years. It, I, I, I consider it my anthem, my personal anthem. It's just a song about human solidarity. The, the song is a poem by Mahmoud Darwish, who is a Palestinian poet, and then translated into English by Akhi Noam, by Noah, and composed to music by me. So it, it was a whole project um, of 11 singers, amazing message for solidarity. As you prepare your evening meal, think of how the others feel. Don't forget to feed the hungry as you wage your wars with guns, think of all the other ones. Those who still believe in peace and love. As you pay for running water, think of someone's son or daughter, nursed by clouds beneath a starry When you return from work tonight, think, think of, of others and their plight. Those who live in camps and dream of home. As you lay your head to rest, dreaming deep Remember those who have no place to sleep As you let your words run free, rhyme of tongue in cheek Remember those who've lost their very right to speak And as you think of others far away Think of yourself and say If only I could be A candle in the dark I wish I were A candle in the dark If only I could be A candle in the dark I wish I were A candle in the dark Mira, what will happen in the future now? I mean, for you personally and artistically? So, you know, I started last year, 2020, um, thinking that I would be releasing uh, a new album. I had this huge plan of releasing a song every month, a song and a video every month. And I started with that plan. So I released one song in January, another song in February, the third song in March, and then coronavirus came and hit everything. And we kind of paused because we didn't know uh, what is going to happen. And, you know, promoting new music means a lot of work and a lot of money. And suddenly nobody knew what's going on. So we, we stopped everything and it kind of sabotaged the whole plan. So I'm hoping that in 2021, I will be able to release this album, which some of the songs are already out there, but I want to release the album. It's called Human Woman by Mirawad. And, you know, and start working on, I hope that we can start uh, scheduling performances and concerts around the world the same way we used to do. But I'm hoping that we go back to that at some point. Music, music is out there. So I'd love people to just hear the music that I've prepared. Is it on Spotify and iTunes? Yes, it's everywhere. <laughs> In a moment out of time, words are dead.
شكراً ميرا أواد عفواً إميل <laughs> And شكراً to you all listeners out there in the world I hope you enjoyed this chat with me and Mira Awad And if you did, subscribe, like and write a review And tell everyone you know about Eurovision Legends You find Eurovision Legends on Facebook and Instagram And all information on my website, EurovisionLegends.se Salam alaikum Wa alaikum as Thank you And when I cry, I cry